Baseball is back, and you won't want to miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented Astros and MLB season. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. Right now, we have an exclusive offer that you can take advantage of. If you go to theathletic.com slash Crawford Talks, that's the name of our podcast without the word the, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription to the site. Again, that's 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash Crawford Talks. You're not going to want to miss it. I hope to see you there. Welcome into the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. He is Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. We are through uh, six games as of our recording on this uh, Thursday, the 30th day of July. We've got a lot to get into, including some drama from earlier this this week. Jake, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, it's uh, Two things are clear to me. 810 central starts are not good. And yeah. MLB needs to uh, work on its extra inning rules because that that uh, putting a runner on second base thing did not lead to a shorter game on on what was that Wednesday night against the Dodgers. Yeah, it, it did not on Wednesday night. I think it will over the course of the, uh, the the sixty games if they can play all of them. Obviously, I I actually it's 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 a little different, obviously, but so far I don't actually mind it. What do you think? I don't know. I need to see it more. It was, um, it's on one hand, like the, the, the fact that like, even if you're down one, one swing can put you back ahead is kind of cool. Um, but I don't know, just like the gimmicky aspect of it, um, doesn't really, I don't really love, but it, it was, it was just funny that like they, they implemented it so that, uh, players would spend less time at the park yeah. Uh, for COVID-19 precautionary reasons and like, you know, the first Astros Dodgers extra inning game goes to 13 innings. That's right. Well, the the biggest drama of the week came uh, the night before on Tuesday, and this became without question the biggest story in sports on Wednesday from the sports radio and television that I, that I was sampling, uh, sampling on Wednesday afternoon. So Joe Kelly has a bizarre eighth inning. Uh, I honestly, when watching that game Tuesday, wasn't really thinking much at all about the Astros and Dodgers from 2017, the World Series, the sign-stealing scandal. Then the moment that Joe Kelly sends a fastball behind Alex Bregman is when all those feelings and those thoughts bubble to the surface. Kelly's wild for the rest of the inning. He strikes out Carlos Correa with two guys aboard, with Correa representing the tying run, then has some choice language at Correa afterwards. Benches clear. Both teams get close to each other, but there's no actual brawl, no actual fighting that takes place. Joe Kelly suspended eight games. National media seems very upset. Dave Roberts gets one game. Dusty Baker gets fined because his team left the bench as part of that whole fracas. Uh, Let me start out with this. Jake, you can call me the most naive person in America. Joe Kelly was so wild in the eighth inning that I am not convinced that he was throwing at Alex Bregman. Am I crazy for that? 
Um, kind of. I actually, <laughs> I mean, like, I kind of was in the same boat initially, like, watching it live. I wasn't, um, in that sixth inning, I think I was writing and I wasn't completely locked into the Bregman at bat. And so, at first, I was kind of in the same boat. I was like, are we sure? Like, Joe Kelly's, like, it's, you know, there's a reason, like, that people talk about on Twitter, like, the Joe Kelly experience. Like, he's very wild. He doesn't always know where his stuff is going. Um, but then when you rewatch the, the replays, when you watch like the, the, um, how he threw the pickoff throws to first base super hard to, you know, try to add to it. Um, I, I'm pretty confident that it was intentional after seeing that. And then, then I was trying to figure out the same thing on the Correa one, which ultimately I came to the same conclusion. But, um, yeah, it is, it is interesting because it's Joe Kelly and he, he has, well, he's wild that you, you weren't a hundred percent sure at first, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty a hundred percent convinced. Uh, you know, I would say by the end of that night on Tuesday that what was going on, and I think everyone else was too. And obviously, MLB, you know, regardless, MLB um, didn't take kindly to the fact that he threw in the head area of of players. That's that's really what they're trying to get rid of. Okay, so basically, so you weren't you were you were not convinced during the game, but afterwards, going through the video, you you then became convinced that yeah, he was going after Bregman. Yeah, on both um, Correa, Bregman and Correa, I thought. Um, well, hang on, hang on, but the Correa one makes no sense to me though, because I, I again, I'm watching that whole time, and Correa is the tying run. Like, why would he be throwing a Correa in that spot? That's a, that's a big game in that moment. Is he insane? Well, it was a breaking ball, so maybe he just assumed that Correa would get out of the way. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he struck him out anyway, right? So maybe he had a master plan all along. Um, I, I just thought he was, uh, put it this way, I could be totally wrong on the Bregman thing. Like, I, I will fully volunteer, volunteer that I could be totally wrong. I, I just thought that he was so all over the place that entire that entire inning that I am not 100% convinced that he was throwing at Bregman. Now, again, with Bregman, I could be entirely, completely idiotically wrong fine how about the, the yawning th- the yawning though uh yes the the yawning the yawning yes but i just <laughs> I, I just think that kelly is so weird and so wild and lacks such control that once that pitch happens and he knows what the reaction is going to be that he's going to do those kind of things like he did after the correa uh strikeout like that's what i chalk it up to maybe that's a lot of maneuvering for me i mean i'll put it this way Aside from the Bregman thing, if he's if he's throwing at Bregman, then clearly to me, I think the eight game suspension is warranted. Uh, if he's throwing at Kraya, then I just think he's a moron. That's where I'm at. <laughs> like, I, I mean, he's the tying run. He's the tying run. You can't throw him in that in that situation. That's uh, that's absurd. Yeah. No, I, I get your point. Um, as for whether it's a fair eight games is a fair suspension. Um, First of all, like, I don't understand the whole, like, narrative of, like, uh, oh, eight games in 2020 is worth 22 games in, <laughs> like, they don't, they weren't going to, like, prorate this stuff. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, the schedule just is what it is at this point. But Jake, they, Jake, they should have given them 4.5 games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or it would have been less. What would it have been? Uh, yeah, probably less. Quick math. Um, yeah, I, I think here's my take on like whether the eight games for Joe Kelly was fair or not. And we should say that it's currently on appeal. It, it could get cut down from the eight games. Um, I think it was both harsh based on the precedent. And unfortunately, we have a lot of precedent of pitchers throwing at hitters. And fair given that 
um, in spring training, MLB basically issued warnings that, you know, this stuff would not fly, right? It's not like this is a surprise that they both um, gave Kelly more games than uh, past uh, occurrences of, of similar activity have, have gotten and they suspended the manager because they want to hold everyone accountable. Yep. Um, so I, I think it was both harsh and fair. And I think in this case, you know, it's long overdue that MLB is trying to get rid of this stuff in baseball. I mean, like it's just, it, the whole like throwing at people's heads is such a tired old school baseball thing. It's dangerous. It should be yes. long gone. And um, the only way to get rid of it is to, to up the, punishment and so the precedent you could argue kind of goes out the window because they used to not you know it used to be much lighter suspensions for this stuff do you find it odd that if the dodgers are throwing at the astros in retaliation for what happened in 2017 and the sign stealing scandal that they're basically outsourcing it to a guy in joe kelly who wasn't actually on the team in 2017 i i mean i don't i don't get the sense that it was like a conscious thing like joe kelly you're gonna be the one to do it i just think he joe, just did it basically on his own that's what it seemed like to me i don't know um yeah i mean you know that that element of it was a little weird but i think <laughs> i think there's part of it that is like pitchers everywhere were were victims to this and he's gonna stand up for pitchers everywhere in a okay. way uh also he wasn't a team that lost to the astros in the playoffs that year um you know, I don't know. I think it's more of the, the pitcher thing, right? Like, you know, because you separate in, in the sign stealing stuff, you know, I feel like the hitters and pitchers kind of separate themselves because the pitchers don't actually participate, right? They they don't even have to know what's going on. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, uh, like just how the Astros were, you know, knew what was coming for much of that 2017 season. Like, I think he's in a way standing up not only for his new newer teammates on the Dodgers, but also just like the fact that they were doing this to pitchers across the league. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm always in a weird spot when it comes to policing the game, because logically um, my brain, when I think about players policing themselves, and that's what baseball has been for the last hundred years. um, I understand that logically it's a little ridiculous for guys to be throwing objects at, you know, 100 miles an hour is obviously extreme, but even like 80 miles an hour to your back is going to hurt. Uh, at the same time, I've always felt as a baseball fan, you know, watching for the last 20, 25 years that when you have, let's say, an opposing pitching staff who's, you know, getting inside on your guys, who's hitting them, that there is a sense if you're if you're the pitching staff on that team there, I can understand the sense of like, hey, you know, let me protect my guys by, you know, throwing inside of them and making them uncomfortable and even possibly hitting them. I can see that. But then when it gets to the level of, man, if Joe Kelly is throwing at Alex Bregman, um, and this is where I'm saying this out loud, and I don't know if I have the strongest leg to stand on. If he hits him in the middle of the back, I'm kind of like, okay, I will live with it, even though I'm not obviously thrilled with it because of, again, it's still a really fast baseball hitting a guy. But Jake, if he is throwing at Bregman and he throws it high and behind him, that's basically like shy of hitting him in the head. The worst thing that you can do. It's the worst thing that you can do. Like, even in the code of throwing at guys, you're not allowed to throw behind guys. 
Yeah, and and that high, as you said. Yeah, I mean, but even for me, like the throwing guys at guys at all is like you you don't have perfect command. There's a reason you don't strike out every batter you face in baseball, right? <laughs> yeah. Like even the best of the best, and these guys are the best of the best. They have incredible. Like I don't think we take we talk about enough, like how incredible it is that these guys can locate baseballs at such a high velocity so consistently. But even they don't have the best command, and so like even if you're aiming for the butt. You might miss and it might be higher. So I, I just think the whole practice of policing the game by throwing projectiles at people. And let's not forget, literally making your odds at succeeding worse because you're putting a runner on base. It yes. just, just needs to go away. Let's take a listen to Dusty Baker and what he said after this game in standing up for his players and specifically uh, what happened between Joe Kelly and Carlos Correa. Balls get away sometimes. You know, but not that many in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, when you throw a 3-0 fastball over a guy's head, I mean, now you're flirting with his, uh, you know, ending his career. Then a couple other guys, balls are close. And then, you know, what really enraged everybody is when, you know, he told Carlos, I mean, he struck him out. He told him, nice swing, bitch. And see, what are you, what are you supposed to do then? And then what upset me is that the umpires warned us. You know, why don't you warn him? You know, he's the one throwing the, throwing the ball. And, the, you know, he's the one that started this this mess in the first place. So I, I didn't like it at all. So Dusty standing up for his team. He mentioned how Joe Kelly and the Dodgers started it. People can obviously quibble with that one yeah. <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, but I, I will say this, and I don't know where you stand on this, Jake. Uh, I've talked about fighting words on this podcast before. If even if you and I and I think you and I are friends, but if we're playing like a wiffle ball game and you struck me out and you were like, nice swing, bitch, I'd be like, what? I'd be like, what? Like, like I'd feel provoked with that kind of language. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't blame I can't blame Correa and the Astros for getting out of the dugout when something like that happens. You know, I didn't say it out loud, but about 12 minutes ago, I was thinking nice, nice podcast intro, bitch. <laughs> um. exactly yeah like it, like when someone says that you're like all of a sudden like the emotions rise up in you and i'm, I'm not gonna blame correa for being upset at that yeah no i i wouldn't either i i it, it really made me wonder how much we're getting to hear that always happens right yeah and like yeah 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 <laughs> like maybe the hitter just doesn't usually hear it right like i i don't know i think the whole and mark Correa actually the athletic wrote a a story about like all the stuff uh we're getting to hear without crowd noise, real crowd noise. And I don't know. It's an interesting little wrinkle to this season. But yeah, I, I don't blame Correa for being upset at that. Um, you know, but uh, it kind of is what it is at this point. I mean, Dusty, Dusty, like, this is kind of why the Astros hired him, right? To div- divert yep. attention. Be And he wasn't there in 2017. And he can act like, um, you know, the Dodgers started it. But, you know, obviously we know the Astros in 2017 cheating is the reason they're doing it. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of why he's there, right? Just to just to like divert attention from the players. And um, I think that's kind of what he did post game on on uh, Tuesday night. Do you think this is going to happen to the Astros all season? Because I actually do not think it's going to happen much. I don't either. No, I mean, I think if more guys were considering it, uh, the, the Joe Kelly suspension might dissuade them because that's, yep. um, you know, Joe Kelly is, is pretty handsomely paid, but not every 
uh, pitcher is, right? So they some guys aren't going to want to lose that eight games of pay or 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 more. Who knows? Um, yeah, so I really don't think it's going to happen a ton. Uh, maybe here and there you have some rogue, rogue agents, but I, I really I, I've never thought that, right? Because because of this, they MLB said in spring training that they were going to not tolerate it, and yeah, um, that's. You know, in in this case, they backed up their word. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen much either. Again, could be totally naive naive on this point, too. I just in watching the Astros Dodgers series this week in watching what, you know, the combined 22 innings. The only time I really tangibly thought about sign stealing in 2017 in any of those innings was that I think I think I got it wrong earlier, Jake. It was the sixth inning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The rest of the series was very like normal. I thought. Yeah, I mean, I like I remember. I mean, gosh, I remember, you know, like 18 years ago, whenever when I, I was back in the Northeast and there was like a week of shows talking about um, I think it, I forget which picture was maybe it was Sean Estes or something like what what was going to happen in the next Subway series after the World Series where Clemens was going to actually right. bat. And it was like a huge, huge deal. Whereas leading into yesterday's game, or yeah, you, leading into Wednesday's game, I wasn't thinking, what is Christian Javier going to do to have his teammates back? I was just thinking, well, let's see what Christian Javier has. Like, this thing didn't, I don't think it really played out much on Wednesday or before Joe Kelly threw at Alex Bregman on Tuesday night either. I just, I, I really. Again, could be totally naive. I don't expect this to be a big focus because I think these teams are going to be thinking about winning the games and just making it through every single day fighting against this virus. Yeah, and and I mean, I, I guess like the only other thing that was a little different in this Astros-Dodgers matchup was like Correa homering and then looking at Bellinger, right? Like that, at least yeah. that's what it appeared he was doing. Um Good points. But like, yeah, otherwise it was very contained to one out of, you said 22 innings. You're better at math than I am. And um, yeah, I, I think I think if the, that's all it's going to be in a Dodgers series, like I don't think you can really anticipate like the Angels <laughs> yeah. or the Rangers doing much more than than that. But I guess we'll see. I mean, I, I actually didn't think there would be this much in the Dodgers Astro series because of what you said with, with good, yes, the good pandemic points. and everything else. So. Um, all it takes is one one Joe Kelly. Well, related to this, Evan Drellick, uh, our friend of The Athletic as well, reported, and you guys can check this out on TheAthletic.com, the union and Major League Baseball have agreed that players who steal signs electronically can be suspended uh, without pay or service time. So this is a departure from the whole situation in the offseason with the Astros and then later the Red Sox as well. This seems, I think, like it is A, Jake, inevitable. B, I'm not sure how much it's going to really play in because it, it sounds like baseball is finally taking sign stealing seriously. So they're like cutting, they're going to, they are in 2020 and moving forward, cutting down access to video and signs during games as much as humanly possible. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if we'll get to really feel the uh, full extent of it until we have a normal season, right? Because, like, all the protocols from, for COVID-19, like, kind of close the video room to begin with this year. Yeah. But um, I would encourage everyone to read Evan's story. There's a lot of interesting details about what MLB and the union have agreed to for 2020 and beyond with regard to, like, who's allowed in the replay room, what feeds are going to be there, what happens 
you know, outside security firms watching clubhouses and entrances to video rooms. And um, like you said, it fine, seems like they're finally uh, taking it seriously. I mean, before they, they didn't even seem like they really policed it until October 2018 when they started putting the, the monitors in the video room, the, the, the live people um, in, in each video room to kind of keep tabs. But um, before that, it was, you know, it was just kind of, you know, MLB didn't did a really terrible job of policing it. So um, clearly. So I think this is an interesting step. And, um, you know, I thought it was, it was interesting too. like even for this year, MLB players are going to have like iPads in which they can load content before and after games, but not during them. Yes. And like and that, I know that's to cover them for like the guys who were who were like, oh, we need it to study and that stuff. Yes, and I'm wondering about that because I know some guys, I think J.D. Martinez has, has been one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rely a lot on that in-game video to make adjustments and all that. And in the story, I think Evan wrote about how in the future they're going to make that video available and basically you know, use technology to black out the signs, essentially. Yeah, his story says that MLB hopes it can get that system up and running for this year, but it might not be until next year. So, yep. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's I, a good I, step. I agree. It's a good step. Let me say this. I don't know where you stand on this. Uh, I feel very strong about strongly about the following point I'm, a, I'm about to make. I am exhausted, just utterly exhausted of the sports media doing this bizarre uh, suspension equivocating every single time. It drives me insane. It is just like the height of like, why why are we even doing this? You know, to, to say Joe Kelly gets an eight game suspension and the Astros players got no suspensions for sign stealing. Like, I feel the same way about that as if you were to say, well, Araldus Chapman got a 30 game suspension for shooting a shotgun in a domestic violence dispute. And A-Rod once got a 211 game suspension. Is Major League Baseball saying that taking performance enhancers is, I don't know, eight times worse than what Chapman did? No, they have nothing to do with each other. If you were a baseball player, you would get fewer games with a a DUI than you would by getting a positive PED test. It doesn't mean that Major League Baseball is saying that drunk driving is worse than taking performance-enhancing drugs. Why does the media continue to compare suspensions when everybody knows that they're in different categories and completely different buckets it is driving me insane i mean i don't think it's just the media i think that was like the general fan reaction and even some player reaction on twitter you saw like i I think i agree with you that it's you know it's it's a lot more nuanced than that but um i don't think blaming it on the media is you know media fans everyone everyone anyone who does it i don't understand anyone who does it yeah i i i mean like it's clearly you know we know why the astros players weren't suspended for cheating because um they were given immunity so that mlb could get to the bottom of it and mlb thought that even you know they clearly they thought they needed their cooperation to get to the bottom of it and also that they would be met with grievances um had they tried to suspend the players. So uh, that, that major league baseball would have never won against. They would have never won. 
Like, here's a, I feel like people, Jake, are living in a fantasy land. Like, if Rob Manfred didn't give those players immunity, here's, here's, I think, how this would have played out. Then baseball would have tried an investigation, and all they would have had was the story in The Athletic, as, as, and I thought it was excellently reported by Evan and Ken, but they would have been basically doling out punishment based on a, based on a story that's in the media, like that, without any cooperation from the players, basically. Right. Yeah. I just like, I don't know. They're they're like you said. They 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 are related because of why Joe Kelly did it, but they are not related. Like they are not. It doesn't mean that one one does not correlate to the other. Like they're different. Throwing at someone's head um, after being warned that there would be extra punishment um, is different. I mean, obviously, like we could relitigate whether the Astros players should have been suspended, and there's. There's a lot of uh, strong cases to be made there, but that's not what we're doing here. Like, that's not the yes. argument. It's just like you have to go within reason of what was going on. And now that MLB has changed the rules, sure, um, they can suspend players for, for sign stealing in the future. But obviously, we've if we've learned anything in the last, what, eight months, it's MLB did not have its ducks in a row when it came to uh, sign stealing ever since it opened the video replay room. Yes, I agree. And the final point I'll make about this is I don't think a lot of the anti-Astro sentiment out there, of which there is obviously a lot, and they're going to wear the black hat for a while. I don't think a lot of these people really care whether Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, etc. get suspensions. I think what they really care about is the World Series. And the key question was, was Manfred going to strip down the strip them of the World Series, which I don't think was ever really on the table. I don't think it was ever going to happen. It's never happened in American professional sports. It's not really the kind of thing that happens. I don't think people, I don't think those people nationally really care if Alex Bregman gets a 20-game suspension or 25. I don't even know what scale I'd even put that on. Like, I don't even know how I'd come up with that suspension. And really, their punishment is that the World Series is tainted. And they're going to have to answer questions about that basically until the day they die. Yeah, like, that the public, is the punishment. the public shaming aspect of it. Yes, yeah. and, and and it's, it's like hard to convince people that public shaming exists, but it does like it, it does. And it's something that like I like, thankfully, I haven't had one of these kind of situations, so I don't have to deal with that. Like I actually kind of in a way like sort of sympathize for what the player, what they're going to have to go through, even if it's their fault. Like that's a legitimate actual punishment. Yeah. And the other challenge of it is that we found out so far after the fact, right? Like. It, you know, we didn't find out till November 2019 that this happened in 2017, beginning in May of 2017. So that's yep. what, two and a half years. And so players have moved on to other teams. Players have retired. Um, new players have come up. Like, it's just, it's not as simple as, as, um, you know, punishing players who were in high A at the time for something that players who are now on other teams did. Um, you know, obviously the Astros do have a lot of players who are still left over from that 2017 team. Um, but I don't know. That was another part of it that's I feel like we don't kind of talk about enough is like it, it wasn't it, it, it came out so far after the fact that you're there's there's that element to it as well. And um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's weird too. like you don't really hear much. Many people talking about the players who are on other teams who were on the 2017 Astros. It's just like. Uh, yes. I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but they're they're booing or they're they're rooting against the Astros, not the specific players, right? 
I think that's right. Yes, it's not like if they had fans that came this year, you know, Michael Brantley would would hear it too, even though he wasn't on that team. So it's more about the the laundry, the uniform, right. and that connection. Yeah, and you don't hear much about like Marwin Gonzalez or Jake Marisnik. Yeah, or, I don't know. It's it makes me wonder like how it's going to impact um, player retention. Yeah, yeah, free agency, like both both the Astros' ability to keep players and to bring in new players, like. Um, I don't know. If I was a player, yeah. I, I don't think I'd want to get booed every day and thrown at. Um, if yeah, I, 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 I wonder that too. It's also, are we going to be able to find out? Because obviously the major decision, the, the major factor in free agency is always money. Right. So even even if a player didn't come to Houston because of this, how would we even find out? Yeah, <laughs> you know? and like the Astros are usually not the team to outbid everyone else. So um, exactly, there's always many factors involved, but... I don't know. It's something I've, I've wondered about. Yeah, no doubt. Jake, let's go through four takeaways through the first uh, week of games, the first six games. The Astros. Uh, 10% of the game. year is over. Yeah, that's the bizarre thing to me. Like, I, I looked at that number on Wednesday and I'm like, man, 10%, 10% of the year. Um, it's obviously a little bit different now with the expanded uh, postseason. Uh, I know one of your major takeaways is Kyle Tucker. Yeah, and it's not so much anything he's done. It's it's more how Dusty Baker has used him. Um, it's it's weird. I mean, he he's treat Baker's treating Tucker. It seems like as like a platoon player, right? He yep. He's DHing uh, righties when they face a lefty. He's pinch hitting for him when a, a lefty comes in. Although he did let him face a lefty. Um. In Wednesday night's Dodgers game, and he got a single. I think it was against McGee in like the fifth inning. Um, and it's a it's a stark contrast from last September when AJ Hinge basically ran out Kyle Tucker every day against lefties to see if he could do it, and yep. he did pretty well. Um, Tucker in the in the minors hit lefties fine, and in AAA last year his splits righty lefty were were even relatively in. Um, 2018, I think he was even better against lefties. So obviously that's AAA. It's not the majors, but um, I think like penalizing him just because he bats lefty um, is strange. Um, you know, I get platoon splits and platoon advantages, but it's not like Abraham Toro is like this big bopper from the right side. He's actually better <laughs> from the left side. Um, you know, if Taylor Jones was still in the roster, he crushes lefties in the minors. Maybe that you could rationalize that. But they don't have like a big right-handed bat off the bench that that makes sense to um, platoon Tucker with or pinch hit Tucker for. Um, I, I think it's it's bizarre and and um, you know I'm curious to see if it continues because I don't really understand it. Yeah, for me, I'll just go sort of uh, bigger picture here. Uh, I think that with Jordan Alvarez not with the team right now, although he's obviously been cleared. So I'm guessing we'll see him at some point, hopefully relatively soon for his sake. I think Kyle Tucker needs to be in the lineup every single day. I know, and you've mentioned this a couple of times, Dusty Baker cares about this season. Um, and I guess next season, now that he has the, uh, the the option and he doesn't really care about, let's say 2022 or 2023. I, I definitely grasp that. I, I just think that, you know, when I look up, when I wake up on Sunday and Taylor Jones is in the lineup instead of Kyle Tucker, I just, I, I just organizationally, I don't really understand that. To me, Kyle Tucker was the number five overall pick in the draft, and maybe it doesn't work out, and maybe, maybe the com the combined 
let's be fair, disappointments of Tucker and Whitley is something that doomed the Astros franchise moving forward. That's a real possibility. That possibility is absolutely out there. But with Tucker, he's done enough at AAA where he's been dominant that I just think if Alvarez isn't there and you have that spot in the lineup, we need to see Kyle Tucker every single day. Day. I don't care how bad the struggles are, and some of the at-bats are non-competitive enough, Jake, that they are concerning. There's no doubt about it. I just think with the talents and the draft status and the production and the importance of the future and the lack of great options, you know, Taylor Jones, fine, but it's not like Taylor Jones is some big prospect in his own right. I just think, I'll bottom line this, I think Kyle Tucker, without Alvarez here right now, needs to be in the lineup every single day, and they need to see what they have in Kyle Tucker because of the impending free agency status of the entire outfield. I agree with most of your point. I don't think draft status or prospect status matters. Like, Well, let, let, let me do this. Combining the draft status with the production, if that makes sense. Like the fact that he has obviously been seen as a very talented player and he's done really well in the minor leagues. I'll, I'll kind of like couple them together, essentially. Yeah, that's that's. I think the minor league production is the better argument. Although he wasn't as good as people think last year in AAA, given the um, juice balls and all that, and like how much everyone was hitting. He actually regressed from the previous year. But yeah, I think, yeah, I agree with you. And also it's just like, regardless of, the fact that he was a big prospect or the fifth overall pick, like who's the best option right now in the lineup? You know, they don't have um, a clear cut best DH. Uh, you could easily argue he should be playing over Josh Reddick to begin with. And so I think it's just, you look at it as simple as that. Who's the best option to give them the best chance to win. And, um, you know, I think the inconsistency of, of, playing him only versus righties for the most part um, doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. I know you've got an issue. Actually, you know what? Let's do this. Let's go back and forth. I've got, let me give you my main takeaway. I think the biggest positive through the first week of the season is Christian Javier. And this is something I credit to you. We, I think we were talking about Christian Javier back in March, <laughs> like around slash before all this began. You talked about uh, that what the invisible that he throws mm-hmm. and just how well he pitched in the minor leagues. He was their minor league pitcher of the year in 2019. The thing that has stood out to me, Jake, and I don't want to be one of these reactionary people, but from the first thing that he threw, I think Sunday in relief to obviously the performance that he had against the Dodgers, which was very, very good for a rookie, for anyone, honestly, against that lineup. In contrast to some of the other guys that we've seen, and we've seen a heck of a lot of rookies making their debuts for the first six games, there's something about this guy. There's something about this kid because I would say it's a combination of the stuff and the control. He's operating in the strike zone. Some of these other guys I'm watching, you know, from Anoli Paredes to Josh James uh, are just all over the place. Some of these relievers are watching. Christian Javier with the exception of when he obviously got a little bit tired in the fifth inning on Wednesday night, that guy is in and around the strike zone. I don't know what he's going to be, and hopefully for the Astros' sake, that they've had a real find here in Javier, but this guy is not walking people. He's got control, and he's got pretty good stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, that was the biggest thing that stood out to me from his first start Wednesday night was the lack of walks and the amount of strikes. Because that's not what he was in the minors. Despite all his dominance, he was walking 4.7 per nine last year. Um, you know, and control was was a question. So uh, maybe he's made improvements uh, in that regard in the last year. Maybe it was just a one-off. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I think he's got enough stuff and like pitchability slash savvy to to succeed either way. But that was why he was so good uh, against the Dodgers was he was throwing, he was throwing strikes constantly. And um, I think he's the type of guy because his fastball is sneaky uh, that he's going yeah. to have a lot of success the first time he faces hitters. And then there might be an adjustment period uh, as he starts to see the Angels and the A's and the Rangers like a second and third time. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too, that he's got unique enough stuff that, you know, we could see some success for a while and then we see what happens. Of course, (laughs) you know, it's weird in the 60 game season. There aren't many starts, but you do keep facing the same teams. Right. So maybe that hurts them, hurts him, you know, kind of down the road here this season. Um, But and I know it's easy maybe to say watching on TV. He looks like he's in control. Like he doesn't look like his emotions, Jake, are getting the best of him on the mound. Yeah, he he it, he does, and um, it's interesting to me because in early in spring training, um, he seemed really shy. Like he's he's definitely a quiet quiet kid, doesn't speak much English, so that made it a little difficult to uh, kind of introduce myself to him and like explain who I was or what I do because I you know it's my fault I don't speak any Spanish. I, I should have thought of that earlier in my life or have worked worked <laughs> to correct it more recently. Um, You've got time. Well, less now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he, he seemed like a really shy kid. And then, like, on the mound, he's very uh, composed and uh, doesn't see... And I think he even said in spring training he was really nervous um, after his first Grapefruit League start. So, I don't know. If, if he's nervous, he's not showing it. Um, you know, in the, in the minors, when he was in high A, he had a, uh, a couple... Or it was a high, high A or low A. I, I think it was high A. Uh, he had... Um, some coaches who who named nicknamed him uh, reptile, the, the Spanish word for reptile, because they thought he was very slow uh, and deliberate with all of his movements. And then they saw him on the mound, and they said, you know, "This guy's cold blooded." Um, and one of them was Morgan Ensberg, was one of the people who who coined that um, back when he was managing in the Astros minors. So, uh, and I believe the other one was was the pitching coach Drew French, who's now in, in AAA. Uh, for the Astros, um, but yeah, it, it it is something that that I noticed as well. He's very he's very composed and poised out there. Um, you know, at the same time, it's one start. Uh, you can't get too carried away from one start. I think I angered some people on Twitter when I compared it to Corbin Martin's debut from 2019. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people were not happy with no, that. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, Corbin Martin was absolutely dominant, albeit yeah, he was really albeit good. against the worst team in the Rangers, but. Um, you know, you can't, you have to be careful, especially in the small, short season of, of drawing too large conclusions from a super small sample. Four takeaways from the first week of games. We've gone through Kyle Tucker, Christian Javier, Jake. It sounds like you have an issue with the lineup construction of Dusty Baker. Yeah. And I'll preface this point by saying batting order is like extremely overrated. Doesn't matter all that much over the course of the season. But there's some like little basic things that that stuck out to me that seem like they would be more obvious to do. Um, 
first off, like with the three batter minimum, you want to make life as hard as possible for the other manager and balance out the righties and lefties. Um, Dusty Baker hasn't really done that. Um, I don't know if it's mattered yet. Maybe it did against the Dodgers to an extent, but you know, he, he's been hitting, uh, Brantley primarily fourth, right? So that's the first left-handed hitter. Um, and then stacking Reddick and Tucker at seven and eight, uh, or, or, you know, in some, some of the lineups against lefties, right? It was just Brantley fourth and Reddick seventh. And then that the rest of the lineup was righties. So you're, you're going long stretches there with only righties. You're not really making life difficult for the other manager and bullpen management um, in the later innings. Um, I mean, it seems like the easy solution, at least with the first situation you mentioned, would be, you know, bat Reddick seventh, have Maldonado slash the catcher spot eighth, and then have Tucker ninth, right? I, I would put Reddick ninth because I, uh, I think Tucker's a yeah, better hitter. Either way. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean that, that's there's a reason AJ Hinge did that at the end of last year, right? Reddick became their their regular ninth hit hole hitter. Um, you also get like with Reddick, you get like the contact um, yes. right before the lineup turns over, um, and usually a, a good at competitive at bat. I don't know. I, it's not a huge deal, but it, it's something that stuck out to me. Um, stacking the two lefties, Reddick and Tucker at seven to eight, just I don't really get it. And then uh, on Wednesday, when Springer, you're giving Springer a day off, batting Tucker lead off. Um, like, <laughs> I didn't get that either because you, I don't know. Like, just that was strange. just move everyone up a, a, a spot, give your best hitters the most at bats. And you saw it come into play because Tucker had a huge at bat, right? And he came up in a huge spot, I believe, in extra he innings. Did. And that could that, that, that could have been one, Altuve, right? Although Altuve is struggling right now, but you know what? You get my point. Like, no, I I totally get it. Yeah, it, Tucker felt like he was a, a little early on. I think a, I think a fastball that he could have won the game on Wednesday night. But yeah, that that one even even for me, the guy who says Tucker should be in lineup every single day, I'll definitely agree. When I saw him hitting leadoff, that seemed a little peculiar to me, and I definitely agree with your idea about stacking Reddick and Tucker really makes no sense the way that they're going to play this season and obviously next seasons with this three batter minimum with uh, out of relief yeah I mean I just it just doesn't it's just like a an easy thing to make life harder for the other team uh and it again yes. batting order is extremely overrated and doesn't matter a ton but um you know it the stuff little things here and there do add up I think my final takeaway, and this is not some like major take really, but the big hitters need a hit better than they have <laughs> the first six games. I mean, George Springer has been an utter disaster so far. He's one for 21. You can tell that he's struggling and Dusty giving him the day off Wednesday obviously speaks to that. And uh, it's fair to say that Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve have been very disappointing through the first six games. Obviously, I expect that to change. But especially if you look at a game like Wednesday night, you know, when Altuve and Bregman have those kind of clutch at bats, you're just, I, I think, expecting a lot more. Those are their two best baseball players. Um, and I don't think that's the kind of thing that's going to that's going to linger. But I mean, put it this way. Uh, I think if we had done this podcast focusing on some of the games on, let's say, Monday morning when we were focused on the Verlander injury, 
and maybe even Tuesday, a lot of it's going to be like, man, this team's going to really need a hit because this pitching staff is a, is a big concern. And it remains a concern. But against the Dodgers, I think the pitchers largely did their job of the 21 or 22 innings they played. Like, the pitching staff only allowed runs in, in I think, three of those innings, I think, three or four. And... You know, there was enough there where it's the offense's fault that they lost both of those games. And I expect this to obviously equalize and change moving forward, but their big hitters need to get going. Bregman, Altuve, I do not get concerned about. Springer is obviously a guy who can be a very streaky hitter, but even this is a pretty low point for him. Yeah, I, I think they'll start hitting pretty soon. Um you can't forget that they basically had like what a two and a half week spring training. Um, yes. And when you're facing your own pitchers and not other pitchers, it's hard to get ready. Um, so yeah, I, I don't point. think it's a surprise that the pitcher in general, the pitchers on the other teams are ahead of the Astros hitters. Uh, I think that might continue this coming week as well. And then, you know, I expect like week three, um, Maybe it starts to turn around. Um, you know, I, it's not a surprise at all to me. It's maybe the only surprise is maybe that it's each of Springer, Altuve, and Bregman. You would think maybe one of them would have started faster, but, um, you know, Brantley and Correa have started fast. Maldonado has looked really good and, and Trimmer, yes. I should say. Um, I need to figure out his diet. Um, but, <laughs> um, yeah, it, I, I don't think it's a huge concern. Long term, I just think it's it's a product of this short ramp up and not having much time to see, you know, those live pitching pitching. I think you're I think you're right. I mean, logically, yeah, logically, these are the kind of guys in their prime, excellent players. They will find a way to get it going. On the positive side, Correa did, I think, you know, despite the fact that unfortunately unfortunately for him, he couldn't come through in two of the bigger moments in, in the Dodgers series, he's really swinging the bat well. Uh, to me, like, I've always, the last five years, I've really enjoyed watching him play, and I feel like when he's on, like, that swing is just, it, it's, it's really a thing of beauty. And I, I just always enjoy when he's on because it's 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 aesthetically pleasing if that makes any sense uh as of our recording his he's hitting 409 so that's obviously on the positive side of the ledger to get him off to a good start yeah it almost it's it's just weird to see a player of his caliber hitting sixth on a team right it's every really time weird. you see yes. six correa it's like wow like uh it speaks to both his issues the last couple of years staying healthy but but more so their depth and um you know, I would probably back Correa ahead of Gurriel, but I think it's just justifiable. And again, probably doesn't matter. Last thing that we want to mention here is we've gone through a lot of different stories because it's it's a busy time, obviously. Dusty Baker got his club option picked up. This happened, um, I think, right before the Dodgers Tuesday, series yeah. uh, began. So this happened on Tuesday. Also picking up the options on Brent Strom, the pitching coach, and Gary Pettis, the uh, third base coach. Uh, I... You know, I don't have like a, a hugely strong opinion on this. It was interesting they did it so early, but the season is so short and so truncated that, you know, e even if things go poorly, let's say like the Astros make the playoffs and, and are bounced early because of the, the pitching issues and, and the health, um, it would feel, I guess, a little early to start thinking about a new manager because you couldn't, I guess, blame Dusty Baker for something like that. W what did you think of the, uh, it's not an extension, it's just, it's just picking up the option. Right. I think it's it's uh, more a issue of what's right and what's fair. And 
Dusty Baker did okay. not get a full season to manage this team, which was what he was hired to do. And I think the timing is um, more related to, you know, like this thing. We don't know if this MLB season is going to finish. And James yeah. Click, the GM, and, and I assume Jim Crane was involved as well, um, wanted to give those three guys the peace of mind that if, if you know, all three of them are, are older and toward, toward the end of their careers too, that if this season does get shut down, um, that they would be – you know, welcome back next year. Um, okay. And I think for an organization that that has had uh, the culture issues and issues about like treating people the right way, um, it was smart and a good uh, good move by them to you know this is this is treating people the right way, right? Like you you proactively yeah. um, remove the uncertainty of the lame duck status and and offer some clarity to the situation moving forward and and do. Quite frankly, you know, whatever you think of Dusty Baker as a manager, like it's it's fair, right? It's it's the right thing to do because he didn't get to manage a full 2020 season. Yeah, even if things go poorly here, I would at this point assign it more to injuries um, and the flukish short, short season than anything else. And no matter what happens for, you know, the next two months, the Astros are going to be in win now mode in 2021. And so I think Dusty Baker kind of fits that window of time. So I think you're right. It's probably the right thing to do at this point, And it does eliminate any uncertainty about what's going to happen moving forward. Because again, we, even though I know it's frustrating when we keep mentioning this on these episodes, but we need to make sure they actually get through this season uh, first. So from that standpoint, it does make sense. Right. And the week started off um, with some sobering news in that regard, right? With the, with the Marlins situation. Yep. So, um, you know, I, I also, it definitely crossed my mind that they released this news before the Dodgers series too. I mean, that, you know, did, do you think that played into diverting some attention from the matchup at all? Uh, probably not because it didn't seem like it was a big talking point, honestly. That's true. Um, so uh, I, I just thought the timing was probably more coincidental, but I'm not in fairness. I'm not exactly. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and we should we shouldn't um, shortchange the Brent Strom part of it, too. That's obviously a big deal. Um, that is a big, you deal. know, he talked yes. in spring training that he wasn't sure what he was going to do after 2020. He was going to wait and see how it went and then decide. And then clearly he he's all in for 2021. So I think, um, you know, as I wrote in my mailbag the other day, it kind of sets up for like a last hurrah. Uh, yes. when you combine that with the fact that all the free agents they have, um, after 2021. So, um, I think it all, it makes sense all around. Um, and like you, I was, I was maybe a little surprised or not expecting it this week, but it, it, it you know, when you think, sit back and think about it, I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense. That'll do it for this episode. A lot of uh, newsy items through the first uh, week of the season. Uh, the Astros uh, begin a nine-game uh, road swing. That'll have a, a couple of days off. So they'll see the uh, Diamondbacks. Uh, they're going to see the Angels first, and they'll finish up against uh, the A's on the road. Although it's a little weird on the road, obviously, with uh, no fans. We're back on Monday for the latest edition of the Crawford Talks. This has been the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic.